Hey, this is Daryl. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Today, I'll be talking to Matt Doyle of MLSsucker.com about his predicted 2022 World Cup roster. Matt wrote this up for MLSsucker.com. I will put a link in the show notes. But in today's episode, we, we grill him on his decisions about his roster for 2022. Also, if you haven't heard this week's episode of Allocation Disorder, I highly recommend it. You'll find it in this feed, in the Total Soccer Show feed, and it's the Athletics' Sam Stasekull talking to his athletic colleagues, getting their best stories from covering American soccer throughout the years. Really, really good stuff. Going forward tomorrow, that's Friday's episode of the Total Soccer Show, Taylor and I are going to catch you up on all the soccer news you might have missed, including the Bundesliga's decision to maybe get back to playing soccer pretty soon. We'll also have on that same episode a review of episode four of Sunderland Till I Die. That's the January transfer window deadline day episode. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you, with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, how to stay motivated, and how to stay productive at home. Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find Remarkably Remote on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash T-I-P-S. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's brave enough to predict the future. His name is Matt Doyle. Hello. Hello, Daryl. I'm calling in from the Petri dish of the apocalypse, New York City, 2020. <laughs> and part of your sort of pandemic content creation is mm-hmm. you've, been, uh, you've been looking away from 2020, I think somewhat wisely, <laughs> and into the future and predicting the U.S. men's national team's 2022 World Cup roster, and I only found this out when I looked at the uh, the, the desktop version, not the mobile version, mm-hmm. the starting 11 for the 2022 yes. World Cup. First of all, I love your optimism that we're definitely qualifying. <laughs> well, I had been drinking, so <laughs> <laughs> yes, that optimism um, stayed in place through uh, about half a bottle's worth of something <laughs> and uh, came out on the page. But I, I do think, like everything that to to not qualify last time, like literally everything needed to go wrong. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't think we can. I don't think we'll see that level of of bad luck and bad management and bad play from key players. I, I don't think we'll we'll see that happen again. I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm only slightly slightly teasing. Um, <laughs> I will say we get our listeners ask us sometimes. Hey, can you predict the 2022 World Cup roster? Can you predict the mm-hmm. 2026 World Cup roster? And we say, no, we're not brave enough. So mm-hmm. I salute you for looking into the future, Matt. <laughs> well, I, like I said, it was, you know, drinking a little bit. So the courage <laughs> came in liquid form, as it often does. And, and here we are. People are clicking on it. People uh, seem to, to enjoy a little bit of daydream, considering that uh, we live in hell right now. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Blue sky daydreaming. Blue sky <laughs> yes. daydreaming. All right. So your post-pandemic 2022 World Cup roster. <laughs> if it's good with you, I'm going to go through sort of position by position, um, list out 
out your picks and maybe uh, ask you a few challenging questions. Consider me like the comment section. I'm going to be like mm-hmm. the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> Great. This is the perfect way to start to, to, to spend the afternoon. <laughs> so your goalkeepers are Zach Steffen, Matt mm-hmm. Turner, and mm-hmm. David Ochoa. This immediately jumped out at me. I thought, wow, Sean Johnson and Brad Guzan don't make it two years hence. Yeah, that's kind of the blue sky thing about it, right? Because I, I love the idea of having a young keeper as our number three. Yeah. And that would be Achoa. And, you know, anybody who's seen it, like Achoa, he, he's he's pretty legit. He he was in a goal for Real Monarchs last year when they they won the USL Championship as an 18-year-old. He's, you know, he would have been in goal this summer for the USU-20s or, or maybe even the Olympics. Um, so the idea behind this is like, well, Stefan will be 27, Turner will be 28. They're both veterans. They're both in their prime. Um, you don't need to have, uh, you know, an old, older over 30 or in Guzan's case, over 35 sort of steady hand. Um, it is a blue sky daydream. I think it is much more likely that one or both of Sean Johnson and, and Brad Guzan will be uh, in Qatar, in Qatar with the, with the U.S. a couple of years from now. I like how you got both pronunciations in covering your right. yeah i did have the same we ever thing decided, have we ever decided which one is correct i think what you just did is correct because then you're, you're right you're both right <laughs> and wrong both ways right? yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> so is this like um is this a matt doyle choice or is this a predicted greg bearhalter choice uh this is a little bit of both okay so the, the 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 caveat at the start of the column um and really with all sort of roster predictions is like I, I'm not just going for possible. I'm going for plausible. Yeah. And it is plausible that, first of all, Zach Steffen, I have him at Manchester City. I mean, I, don't, I think there's like a one in 50 chance that he's actually good enough to be Manchester City. But like, OK, it's plausible that they have him under contract. I think it's plausible that Matt Turner is actually as good as he's looked the past two years. And if that's the case, he will. I mean, he will pick himself for the national team. Um, and then it's plausible that David Ochoa this time next year is a starting goalkeeper for, for Real Salt Lake and that Stefan and uh, Turner are so ensconced with the national team and Burhalter was so um, confident of that and confident of the locker room culture that he's willing to, to take the kid just to get the yeah. the World Cup experience to think about 2026 and 2030. My God, I'm not gonna. I guess I just went that far out, didn't I? <laughs> My next column will be the 2026, and then two weeks from now, I'll have the 2030 World Cup roster prediction. Oh, I look forward so. to reading. Um, <laughs> yeah, Moses Nyman time, man. That's the guy from your neck of the wood. Oh yeah. Um, so I did. Um, I did notice as well that you maybe projected where some players would be with their clubs, and you touched on that with Zach Steffen. I think I read a couple months ago that. They were about to let Claudio Bravo go at the end of his mm-hmm. contract. So there is, there is a, a spot to be filled as Man City's backup keeper, right? And I wanted to ask you if that would concern you if Zach Steffen was essentially sitting on the bench um, watching Ederson play for Man City and you know, playing, in the, playing in the Carabao Cup, um, <laughs> if you'd still be comfortable with him being the starting US keeper at the World Cup? I would not. No, I would not. Okay. I, yeah, I, I I would rather see him be a starting keeper for Fortuna Dusseldorf yeah. or for Columbus Crew 
but a starting keeper rather than a guy who who plays you know eight or ten times a year against League One teams. I'm 100 um, with you. I'm glad to hear that because I'm sure. Well, we'll we'll both hear about it on Twitter from people who think that <laughs> just go to the biggest go to the biggest club you can get to, and that automatically makes you better. Right? Um, yeah, it's we, not the case. We, right? Yeah, we should know by now that that is absolutely not the case. I do. Before we move on, I didn't think we'd spend this long on goalkeepers, but it's turned out to be very interesting. Matt Turner is weirdly a guy I've seen play many, 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 many times because uh, Taylor and I did the play-by-play commentary for the Richmond Kickers when he mm-hmm. was on loan down here. When the Richmond Kickers literally didn't have a goalkeeper, we just kept loaning <laughs> goalkeepers. And he was magnificent for the Kickers. Um, he, uh, what I remember is a lot of saves, but not a lot of claiming things in the air. Is that roughly his game still with New England? Yes. Um, I, I think there needs to be like he, he needs to to be better with his feet and he needs to command his box a, a little bit better. Um, one of the interesting thing about his shot stopping is he, he makes great saves, but they're not like I, I can't think of a save from Matt Turner from the last two years where you're like that's the save of the year. There's got to be right, a save okay. of the year. Um, but he's just, his, positionally he's so good with his shot stopping. He's so brave. He's a lot like Stephen Fry in that way. Um, and of course, Stefan Fry over the years has become so much better about commanding his box. Um, and that's the thing that hopefully, you know, Turner's got like 60, 70 professional games at this point, 50 of them in MLS, hopefully with 50 more, um, you know, he sort of adds that to his game. All right. Sounds good. Let's move on to right back. Um, you, your two picks are Sergino Dest of Bayern Munich. Uh, which has been rumoured and we kind of can predict will happen when the transfer window reopens, whenever that may be. Um, yeah. And Reggie Cannon of Schalke. Yeah. How do you I love feel about it. that one? Yeah. You, you love it? Yeah, well, I love your reasoning, right? Because I know I've been watching Schalke, obviously, like a lot of us have because of Weston McKinney. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got, what, John Joe Kenny on loan from Everton. They don't seem to have a permanent right back. So, I I mean, it Cannon would fit in there. Yeah, he would. And they've... You know, they've been super aggressive about scouting in the U.S. They also have Nick Tadig. Yeah, never figured out how to. Yeah. And he like he's from this he area as well, by the way. He's a, right. a Richmond guy. So if he hadn't gotten hurt, he was set to break in for the first team, I think, last year. Um, but he's just had terrible luck with injuries. So like Schalke have shown real interest in getting U.S. players over there. Reggie Cannon has expressed uh, interest in, in going to Europe. I think he's that level of a player. Um, I don't think he's Bayern Munich level. Dest can be. Uh, but it just it just kind of makes sense if you look at the desire and the need. Now, I haven't specifically heard Schalke linked to, um, to, to Reggie Cannon. The team I had heard was Anderlecht, but of course, Michael Murillo ended up going to Anderlecht. Right. So, um, but like mid-table to big Bundesliga team, to me, that makes sense for Reggie Cannon. Like he has shown me nothing over the last three years that makes me think he's not at that level, or at least capable of getting to that level. Am I right in thinking that his co- the new contract that he signed is structured in a way that sort of encourages Dallas to sell him? Uh, yeah, I don't remember the specifics of it, but um, it, but I do recall reading something like that. Maybe Paul or, or Sam had it at. Um, at the athletic. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's the point that when guys like Cannon or Miles Robinson or Paxton Pomacall, Jackson Ewell, when they get these new contracts paying six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, first of all, good on them. Second of all, 
good for the teams to reward them for excellent play. It's nice to see that with domestic players. But number three is they are no longer insane, incredible bargains. They are mm-hmm. no longer these cap-friendly, irreplaceable pieces. Now you're paying Reggie Cannon commensurate with his performance, which is great, which is what you want to see. But also when you're doing that and you have an academy like Dallas does, you say, okay, let's make some money off of this because we got the next kid coming up, whether it's Brian Reynolds or Kevin Bonilla or one of the younger kids they have. So it just like this, well, until the pandemic hit, like that was going to be the future for how I think a lot of MLS teams do business. Now, obviously, it's all kind of up in the air, but I do think that things will get more or less back to normal within the next 12 months. Thinking of um, MLS players moving to Europe, um, do you think sort of the realignment of when games are played and when the transfer window is, um, what sort of impact is that going to have on players like, say, Reggie Cannon, who were, who were looking at moving? Yeah, it's a good question. I wish I knew the answer to that one. Um, if I did, I would I would write the column. So, but <laughs> we're gonna have to wait and see on that one together. I guess we don't know when soccer starts again, and we therefore we don't know when the transfer window is going to be, right? Well, I mean, but to be that, fair, you have looked ahead to twenty twenty two, so I was thinking I, you would know have, when yeah. the pandemic well, ends and when soccer starts. I'll have, I'll have to get another bottle and see if I'm <laughs> brave enough to predict that in another column. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move to let's move to centre backs. Uh, so your chosen four are John Brooks, Miles Robinson. Aaron Lung and Chris Richards. Um, mm-hmm. I I really like those four. It's a good mix of like everybody's competent with the ball, and most of those guys are pretty quick um, along the ground. Um, it's it's a nice sort of mobile, comfortable with the ball foursome. Yeah, it, that was. I mean, I, I that's very obviously what Berhalter wants out of his center backs. You yeah. have to be able to to cover ground, um, and you have to be able to at the very least, hit a crossfield switch. <clears throat> and there, you know, there were questions about that with Miles Robinson, and he answered that, I think, pretty emphatically last year with, um, with Atlanta, though his was more about playing into pockets, uh, finding guys' feet between the lines rather than crossfield switches. And with Aaron Long, the Red Bulls play such a different style than almost anybody. Um, you don't see a lot of his passing ability, but then think back to how he played in the Gold Cup and then how he played yeah. uh, against Canada and then how he played against Costa Rica this February. Like, okay, he's still a guy who was a midfielder in college. You yeah. see some of that technique. I've seen um, I've seen Behelta talk about this, that like Long is not asked to make those passes when he plays for Red Bull. He's asked to just get the ball forward quickly, right? Like That's the, yep. the Red Bull style. And so he, he was kind of not criticizing Lung, but saying it takes him a little minute to readjust when he joins the national team. And that more than anything, Behelter didn't then connect this dot. I think I connected this dot for myself, that weirdly a move for Aaron Lung would be good just for him to be able to play in a, a more Behelter adjacent style of soccer regularly. Yeah, well, and that's where it comes up that West Ham is the team that yeah. have been interested in. I, I, don't, I don't watch mid-table and below Premier League, so you tell me, does that does the West Ham move work for Aaron Long if that happens? I mean, I haven't watched a lot of West Ham either. I think um, culturally and traditionally, there's, there's the West Ham way where you're supposed to play out of the back like Bobby Moore, but I don't know if mm-hmm. that's what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so <laughs> what, what if Aaron Long doesn't move? Does he still make your roster? I think he does. I, I, I think that the gap between MLS and, and the best leagues in the world is obviously large but it's not disqualifying um yeah. and and we've seen that you know 
I think I wrote this in the column, but Eddie Pope was the best, still the best center back in, in U.S. men's national team history, and he spent his entire career in MLS. And a guy like Jeff Cameron, you know, super talented player, goes to the Premier League and somehow is more mistake-prone when he plays for the U.S. national team, whether it was, you know, Portugal in 2014 or Costa Rica at Red Bull Arena in 2017. Um, it doesn't, like... It doesn't inoculate you against the types of mistakes that can lose your team games or lose your team points. So I, I, I don't think it's disqualifying. I understand why everybody wants to see our players go to the very best leagues in the world, though. Um, and I, for the most part, I want to see it as well. I just want to see MLS teams be ready to replace those guys um, creatively and intelligently and for the most part with players that they themselves have developed. I do think that it's crucial for our teams to, to really understand that and invest in that. And I think the, one of the big stories of the league last five years is that most of them kind of have. I wouldn't be doing my job as the comment section if I didn't go back to write back and ask you why no DeAndre Yedlin? Why Destin yeah. Cannon ahead of DeAndre Yedlin? I also like that you think you got away with that and you happily moved on to centre-backs. You know what? I almost reminded you. I was like, <laughs> oh, he's asking about centre-backs. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin is a, is a pretty good player. Um, he's... If... if we were playing a three-five-two, um, and he could be a wing back. I think I would probably have him on this roster, but he's 26, 27, um, and whether he's playing for Newcastle or, or the U.S. national team, he still forgets that there's a guy behind him off his back shoulder about to score at the back post. He does it constantly, and like he's got 200, 300 top-flight games at this point between club and country, and he still makes that same mistake. And like I don't, I, Dest is is you know he makes young player mistakes, um, but he doesn't make that one. Reggie Cannon doesn't make that one. Yeah. And so it's it's. I'd say uh, Dest, look, Dest offers a little more in terms of building out from the back and just his comfort on the ball and his ability to like wiggle out of tight spaces than Yedlin does. So there's more of an upside as well. Yeah, I mean, it's to say he offers a little more is to undersell it. Yeah. Dest is Dest is. As far as fullbacks go, Dest is absolutely magical with what he can add in terms of um, possession, hit, hitting like really useful passes, not just useful, but like game opening passes, um, and then you know pure attack. Dest, he's the best that we've ever had um, at either fullback position, and I know he's only nineteen, but I'm willing to say that already. Yeah, okay, that's that's confident, but I like it. Um, the best, the best we've ever had in terms of attack and possession, not overall. I see. So let's, yes. let's clarify that. So I think he that's still fair. has to work defensively. <laughs> um, you also um, uh, have Chris Richards in your centre backs. We briefly mentioned him. Um, are you? I think in the column you mentioned that maybe he's just gone on loan to Paderborn as opposed to breaking into to the Bayern first team. Mm-hmm. I look at Chris Richards as a player I really like, but weirdly the size of the club that he's at worries me in that he might end up like constantly in the reserves. Yeah, I I kind of absolutely agree with that, and he you know he kind of struggled this year in, in the reserves as well. So there there was some hope back in August that maybe he would work his way up to fourth on the the first team depth chart, and he probably went in the the opposite direction. I th- I think he has the talent to get there eventually, but I don't think he's going to do it by playing in the third division. Um, so he's he's probably going to have to go on loan. I wouldn't be shocked if he was sold outright. Um, because Bayern don't actually do a ton of loaning out their 
best young players yeah. and then bringing them back. Like, they're not like Chelsea, right? They don't, they don't have that sort of system. They kind of make their decision early um, and just go from there. And, of course, they can buy almost anybody in the world. So it'll be tough. And, like, this one, this one felt more hopeful yeah. than, than realistic with Chris, Chris Richards. But what underpins all of this is, like, Chris Richards is wildly talented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, you know, he is a he's an SEC athlete, um, and he also can pass the hell out of the ball. So you have those two things um, to build upon. Somebody's going to find him playing time, and I'm confident that if he gets playing time and stays healthy, he's a U.S. national team caliber center back at the very least. So SEC athlete is a cultural reference. I don't get what does what does that mean? Oh boy, uh, it's a it's a college football thing. Um, it's, uh, the idea is, you know, kind of bandied about for the past 40 years. What if our best athletes played soccer? I see. Um, I see. see, Yeah. And like Chris Richards is like, he's literally from Alabama. (laughs) Like he's from, (laughs) he's from Auburn versus, you know, he's from iron bowl country. Um, and somehow he chose soccer and, uh, you know, having, having that back, if you go online and you just, you know, look for clips of Chris Richards, you see his ability to defend in the open field. Um, and Aaron Long is the same way to, to a pretty good extent. Um, Miles Robinson is certainly the same way. It's all these four is John Brooks, who is like the least impressive athlete. Yes. But he's also like his, his left foot and his ability to distribute separates him from almost the entire pool. Yeah, I mean, I like it. If this turns out to be the way the future goes with our centre backs, I'd be, I'd be a very happy man watching the twenty twenty two. Yeah, I think I would too because it hasn't felt like that watching the back line for for quite a while. So left back, you've gone with Anthony Robinson of Milan, which it sounds crazy, and yet it came very, very close to happening, right? Like just uh, three months ago, um, and Sam Vines of the Colorado Rapids as the backup. I found this fascinating, especially the the absence of Tim Ream, who right now seems to be. Um, seems to be Berhalter's first choice left back. Uh, he does, but he'll be 35 by the time the 2022 World Cup comes around. And, and we've just we've seen it so many times over the years with the U.S. You know, relying on guys who are just it, just too old to to do it um, in, in these tournaments. And uh, you know, with Eddie Pope in 2006, Jeff Agus in, in 2002, Thomas Dooley in 1998. You know, it, it just one after another after another. And I would hope that culturally we'll have learned from that. There's no disrespect to Tim Marine, who's been a good pro and had a lot of, but like, it's a young man's game, especially yeah. in a tournament setting. So he's going to so, be one of those guys where the 2014 World Cup was, was going to be his era. And, and sorry, the 2018 World Cup was going to be his era. And unfortunately, we missed it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Tim Ream. Um, does he, Tim Ream. Uh, you also talked about uh, maybe Serginho Dest could, in your starting 11, it's Cannon as the starting right back and Serginho Dest as the starting left back. Does mm-hmm. that mean that you think the, the Berhalter um, style where like the center back, the left back becomes a bit of a left center back that, and that thing that kind of suits Tim Ream, do you think that's going to be on the way out? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, and what I think we might, actually end up seeing is something closer to what we had in January of last year when it was the right fullback coming inside and being a second midfielder. Um, oh, wow. So like the, it, the original the original schematic. The original, maybe. With, with Dest playing inverted on the left, it seems kind of natural for him 
like he's going to push up. He's going to go wherever he wants to go. Um, so it would seem kind of natural that one of the things that would be part of the mandate would be to come inside, create sort of uh, positional overload um, in terms of the just the number of players you get a, around the ball in central midfield. It would ask a lot of the, the rest of the back line, but that's the nice thing about having players like Brooks and Long and Robinson and, and Richards um, and then Reggie Cannon at, at right back. And, it, and that's the other thing. Like This is just... I, I, I like Anthony Robinson. Um, I think he kind kind of a bum deal, given you know he struggled against Brazil and Colombia, and who doesn't? Um, <laughs> but like, I like Reggie Cannon more. I think Reggie Cannon's upside is higher. I think he's a clever player, especially defensively, from what I've seen. Um, and so the idea of having Cannon on one side and Dest on the other side, um, especially because if you look in front of Dest, he would be combining with Christian Pulisic. We saw that um, briefly in one game, right? I can't remember who the opponent was, but it it looked good for like half a game of soccer where Dest was going to the outside of Christian Pulisic. Yeah, yeah, and like, okay, I want to see more of that. You yeah. know, give me the give me the seventy million dollar winger and the thirty million dollar fullback <laughs> combining up that side. I trust them to figure it out. Do you have any concerns about Dest's right footedness playing left back? Mm, yeah, I mean. I don't want to say I have no concerns, but they're not game-breaking concerns. Okay. Um, so this is certainly something I would hope um, that we would see in in friendlies first before we actually see it. Um, but yeah, we we have. Yeah, um, but, it's where it's Dest's debut, right? Was left back. Yeah, yeah. So this is like. This is not going to be Jurgen style where he, he wakes up and has a eureka moment at 2.30 in the morning and then scribbles out an entirely new lineup for the next day. Like, there's a process with Burhalter. Hitzelsberger uh, at left back. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good Lord. So, yeah. I'll move us on then to defensive midfield, um, which I think th- this role in, in the shape that Burhalter plays, it's the most interesting one to me because I think it's the one where we don't, definitely have a natural fit in terms of what Berhalter wants and what has proven to be the most successful for the US over the years. Like This is almost where I see the culture clash between what's been successful for the US, which is uh, essentially always having a destructive defensive midfielder, right? Like Mm -hmm. Kyle Beckerman, um, Mastroeni, uh, Ricardo Clark. I was watching some 2009 US and uh, Mm re-watching what Ricardo Clark did in that position. Um, And the two names that you've picked are like half and half, right? You've got Tyler Adams, who you could argue is that destructive midfielder. And then you've got Jackson Yule, who is more like the quarterbacky number six that Berhalter seems to favor. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, both, the, the nice thing about it at this point is both our works in progress who have shown the ability to improve and that in itself is a talent like there are so many guys who come in and they're good at 19 and the same player at 24 yeah um if you look at tyler adams and jackson yule they're vastly different players than they were two years ago and it, it, you know obviously tyler adams hasn't played a ton in the in the past year, which yeah. you know he, he needed a rest after the the work he put in from twenty seventh. I mean, he basically played two and a half years without a break. Um, but it, it, you see his ability to receive the ball and sort of orchestrate from in between the lines, uh, night and day from what it was in twenty seventeen when he really broke uh, broke onto the scene. I I think he gets there. I think I, I, you know he's not going to be Michael Bradley. Yeah, he's not going to be um, 
pulling strings from deep the the way Thomas Dooley did 25 years ago when he played kind of a deep lying box to box, a little bit of everything. Um, but I, I do think that he's going to end up being more comfortable taking control of the tempo than what we've seen from him thus far. He's just a smart kid. Yeah. He just gets it. He, like he, he, he just understands the game. Um, Ewell is more limited because he's as good as he's gotten defensively and, and as sharp as those elbows have become. Um, he, he's, he's limited athletically. He, he, he's not going to run you down in the open field. And even when he was playing great against Canada a couple months ago, there were, there was one time where Mark Anthony K just glided right past him. Right. And it's like, okay, like you can improve that. And he has, and I have confidence that he will keep improving it, but there's a ceiling with, with Jackson. You will, um, in terms of making those types of plays. The other thing, you know, on top of all of this is for halters changed the team shape a little bit. It was much more of a four, two, three, one, against Costa Rica and having that extra player back, I think it was Sebastian Legette, um, like seemed to, to make things like the performance you will put in that game, you will Legette together um, was really impressive because they were able to just work and understand how to put out fires before they even started. And I think that is part of the process that Berhalter wants to see um, whatever the starting formation happens to be and whoever happens to be uh, playing as the six. So could you see like an Adams McKenney four two three one, and that sort of working out? Yeah, I think I could. I think I could, though. Part of me almost wants to see Pomacall and uh, McKenney deeper and just unleash Adams as like a pressing destroyer, almost how Latif yeah. Blessing played. Like, go get for, it. Yeah. You know, like there there are ways to do this, but like a lot of that would depend upon Weston McKenney getting cleaner um, with the ball and, and you know Paxton Pomacall being as good a player as I think he is. So those are your two uh, central midfielders that that you've selected in in your roster: mm-hmm. Weston McKenney and Paxton Pomacall. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like you're like me; you're very high on Paxton Pomacall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I, you could I, you like give me the specifics of his game, just for anyone who's unfamiliar? Uh, left-footed, really good technique, um, you know, receiving the ball in traffic, uh, very good 1v1 dribbler, uh, very, very good short and long passer. He, he just, he creates highlights. Um, he, he's not an elite chance creator, which is why he's more of an eight than a 10. Um, but he is still a very good chance creator. Um, like most young players, he, he needs to... It'd be a little cleaner in the final third. Um, but what what separates him from almost everyone is he, he came into that lineup for Dallas last year. And he did it for the U-20s as well. Um, he wins every second ball. And he, he presses like a madman. I, like, I, don't see, I don't see how you could look, if you're the opposing coach, I don't see how you could look at a U.S. lineup with Adams and Pomacall in the central midfield and be like, oh yeah, we'll be able, we'll be able to play through that. Like you, you're just you're going to lose every fifty fifty. <laughs> I mean, like it, it, I mean to contextualize, there's a there's a stat Opta tracks called duels, um, and it's basically like two players going for the ball. Who comes out with the ball? Uh, Pomacall was over sixty percent last year. That was higher than Ozzy Alonso. It was higher than Diego Char. Mm-hmm. Like it, he was nineteen in his first year 
as a starter. And you know who looks at duels more than anybody else? The Germans. Like this, yeah, it's what they've been. It's what they've been built on for as long as I've been watching soccer. So, so this, I just think this, it, this is where you have Bayer Leverkusen next to Paxton Pomichol's name on your roster. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I I was too much of a coward to to think to put down the teams that I really think he's going to end up playing for. I think Pomichol's going to end up. You know, I, I said this on uh, on on the Scuffed podcast a while back. I think he has the potential to be a world class number eight. And when you say world class, that uh, you know there are ten teams popping through your head now. I would not be sh- other than like a Real Madrid or a or a Barcelona or or maybe a Man City. Um, I could I could see Pomichol playing at literally any team in the world. How soon do you think he moves? So by t- by twenty by November twenty twenty two, you've got him moving. Um, wh- where in the timeline do you think this happens? So, I think it would have happened next winter if not before the pandemic. I think if he had had a, a healthy, you know, 2000 minute season for FC Dallas and had gone to the Olympics. Olympics, of course. Yeah. I think, and I, look, I, I, I can't say which big club, but like, I know for a fact that there is a giant European club, like a traditional giant closely monitoring Max Pomichol and like there is an internal battle in that room about whether or not they want to spend that much money on an American. That's oh, it. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is like inside knowledge you've got. I'm assuming you've just told me as much as you can tell me. This is not yeah, hypothetical, yes. right? This is a thing you've this is Correct. Wow. All right. So oh, it's, it's a shame we don't get the Paxton Pomichol, um Olympic showcase, which is essentially it is. what it would have been, right? And there, I mean, there are a lot of guys who could have used an Olympic showcase on this team. Going through, I think like seventy percent of them are would have been Olympics eligible or will yeah. be Olympics eligible because I guess they're going to have it next year. So, one final question on these central midfielders: um, You've got Jackson Yule still at San Jose. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard Almeida talk about how this guy could and should play in Europe. So, why do you think Yule would still be at San Jose? And at, at this point, he'd be the other side of his mid twenties, right? Uh, he would have just turned 25. Okay. So, so bang in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I think it comes down to athleticism. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. And I think when, when European teams look for players that they want to spend money on, um, especially American players, uh, you have to hit, you just have to have plus athleticism. And I'm not sure that, that you all has that. Um, that said, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was, you know, with this time two years from now, if he was at a, a mid-table Bundesliga club or even a slightly bigger than that French club, he would certainly fit in pretty well in Ligue 1. Yeah, but I, I understand your point that that is one of the things that teams will look at, right? And if you're deciding between multiple players to add to your midfield, there's a potential negative that you can put in the, next to Jackson Yule's name. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, teams will splash out on, a, you know, a subpar athlete um, Argentinian player. Um, but they they just have never uh, like th- there is that track record of Argentines going to Europe and, and you know whatever their physical attributes are being really good players. There isn't that with the U.S. So I think it'd just be harder with someone like you all to break through at that level. Hey, this is Daryl cutting in to let you know about today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Policy Genius. We're looking ahead to 2022. And we might get some things wrong. We might get some things right, but we might get some things wrong. Sometimes, though, you can get things right on the first try. 
One of those things is shopping for life insurance. That's where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. So this is like if you could compare all the top players, you could make the right selections if you had the aggregator that is Policy Genius. And you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. They will not hassle you. They will just handle the paperwork after you apply. Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy either. They can also help you find the right home and auto or disability insurance. So you may look back and think mistakes were made in the past, but you should never be distressed about life insurance with Policy Genius. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. We all get things wrong from time to time. At least we can get life insurance right with Policy Genius. Okay, let's get back to Matt Doyle predicting and daydreaming about his 2022 World Cup roster. I want to move us on to what you've classified as attacking midfielders. And I want to say they're your two bravest and most exciting picks on the roster. It's <laughs> Brandon Aronson and Richie Ledesma. Um, yes. Did, did Adam Bells just take over this part of the roster selection? <laughs> so Ledesma was a pure throw-in for, for <laughs> Bells' sake. I didn't want to ha- have the angry DMs for him. No, I, I love, honestly, I love Richie Ledesma and um, that that goal he created for Soto against France in yes. last year's U20 World Cup still plays through my head because there aren't a lot of guys that we've ever had who could have made that play. The easy, like He has easy speed. He, he doesn't look like he's running hard, and then suddenly he's created two yards of distance between him, and I, I don't remember who the French defensive midfielder was, but this is France. They can all run. Um, <laughs> and Ledesma just dusted him and slips it right to to Soto in stride. Um, it was a Landon Donovan play. It was a Landon Donovan play. We, we don't get a lot of those. Yes. Um, so that was super exciting. And the fact that he's not just at PSV, um, he's at PSV on real money. Because you have to be they, right for the work permit. You have to be. And they just extended him. And it's, you know, they're going to keep selling their players and that clears a path to him to becoming the playmaker for PSV. I think he would have already made his PSV debut by now. Um, if not for again, the pandemic, yeah. um, but I'm super, super high on Richard Ledesma. I just love the way he sees the game. He still like, he still has a kid's body. He mm-hmm. does, he needs to get stronger. He needs to get better defensively. But every time you see him interviewed, he's like, I have to get stronger and better defensively. And so <laughs> it's like, okay, he's at least aware of that. So and I like that. And then you have Brendan Aronson at RB Leipzig. Yeah, that one. That one was fun. I'm not sure that Brendan Aronson is actually the, enough of an athlete to to be RB Leipzig. But what the hell? Um, <laughs> he was he was so impressive. Uh, you know these two games for Philly this year, and it was like the the two things I said about him last year were like, okay, he you know he's brilliant off the ball. He's really clever about. He he's one of the few that we have who, if he's receiving a pass, he'll throw a little hip feint or like shape his body a little bit weirdly before the ball even gets to him, just to throw off the defender. So he's really tough to press. He, if you watch him play, he doesn't lose a lot of. He almost never loses the ball because of that. Almost reminds me of, of Claudio Reyna in that way. Mm. Um, and there was so much. Like I, I remember. You know, watching the, the the playoff game, 
Philly against Atlanta. Um, and, and one of my friends, uh, who is, I, I think, you know, one of the two smartest soccer people I know, um, kind of texted me out of the blue. He, Aronson is so effing good. And, like, if you're watching those two teams play, those 22 players, and you pick Aronson out like that, I think that says something. And, um, but I had questions about can he give end product and can he be a defensive presence? And watch these two games this year. Um, he scored, and he was, like, a pressing menace against LAFC. So it was to, to make that progress from 18 to 19, um, as you're still learning the game, and it needs to be said, playing for a really good coach and Jim Curtin, like that checks a lot of boxes. And just to, um, in a in a way to get people really optimistic, the thing I've most enjoyed, um, like in terms of being aware of the names of young players that are that are hyped up, um, and then being aware of the flaws in their game. Over the last couple of years, watching guys like Aronson literally get better, Paxton Pomacal literally get better over the last couple of years, Jackson Yule the same. Um, we've seen Reggie Cannon sort of evolve into what feels like a really senior player, even though he's still in his very early 20s. Um, I feel like there's a lot of potential being fulfilled. Yeah, right? Which is a nice change from the previous generation, yeah. which had not that. Uh, and it's been, it's been wonderful. I mean, Miles Robinson, uh, another one from that sort of, sort yes. of cohort. So it's it's been, it's been pretty wonderful to see. And, um, you know, hopefully... Look, hopefully it, it leads to tangible benefits in terms of trophy case and in terms of money, because those are the two things that, that drive trends in this game. Um, and if Dallas and Philly uh, and, and RSL and the Red Bulls win trophies and, and sell players for big bucks doing this sort of thing, um, then there are going to be more teams uh, that recognize that and follow suit. So I want to move on to your wingers. Um, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weyer, Jordan Morris... And Giorena. It's actually quite hard yeah. to argue with that, with those four. Tim Weyer feels like an odd pick just because uh, we've seen so little of him recently for the senior national team and he's had all these injuries. But we are talking more than two years away, right? Yeah, and he's he's just 20 years old, not even 20 yet, I don't think. Um, and he, like, we, like, he, he, he sold for $10 million to a Champions League team last summer like that's a pretty good indicator that he's pretty good and he's been productive at every level he's played at that includes the you know the u17 world cup and then the u20 world cup where he was um you know he had a couple of games where i thought he was selfish but then come the knockout rounds he was he was excellent and he yeah. has uh, you know he he's like he's george way kid he grew up with the game and he has the flair that you would think of when you think of george way but like also, he plays the game like a mathematician. Like he's never out of position. He, he's he's so smart and so polished at that age um, that it just like once he gets healthy, he's going to be a starter for his club team, and it's going to be hard for Jordan Morris. Uh, as excellent as Jordan Morris has been over the past year, it's going to be hard for Jordan Morris to 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 keep Tim Weah out of the starting eleven for the U.S. national team as well. Thinking of like Tim Weir's injuries, Christian Pulisic's on and off injuries, Tyler Adams' injuries. I've had a few people ask me, like, do you think there's like um, some sort of curse over American <laughs> players? And I want to throw a theory at you and see what you think. I think there's a period in your like late teens, early 20s when you are just a little bit more injury prone, especially if you've become a first team high level player, because maybe your body's still growing, but you're putting it through a lot by playing regular professional minutes. 
It seems like that. Um, you know, Adams is probably an outlier because, I mean, I, I ran, I did the numbers from a while back. Um, from the time he broke in, it wasn't even the time he broke in for Red Bull's first team. It was from like the the U twenty Concacaf Championships in January of uh, twenty seventeen to the time he got injured for RB Leipzig in March of twenty nineteen or April. I don't remember which. Um, it was like 27 months without a rest, and he had played something like 90 games across all competitions. I like it's kind of a miracle that he hadn't gotten hurt earlier. Right. Um, and my hope is that, look, one of the things that that happens um, after this pandemic is over is that teams step back and say you have to be a little bit um, more careful about you know, protecting our assets, protecting our business model, but, um, and, and understanding workload for our players. Yeah. Um, and, and I think maybe that's what happened with, I mean, I think it's definitely what happened with Tyler Adams. And I think we've seen some of it with McKenney, um, and with Tom McCall a little bit, uh, because he's had a couple injuries and, and a few others as well. Um, and plus, dude, we're just do some good injury luck. Like, <laughs> we, we just are absolutely do some good injury luck. It's been too long. So does this mean letting or maybe being more okay with our young players skipping some national team friendlies or even maybe skipping some uh, tournaments? Like m- maybe us as a uh, as media and as a fan base, maybe we should be a little more patient because like, I don't know, like Pulisic seemed to push it for the Gold Cup and Tyler Adams nearly pushed it for the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. right? And found out at the last minute that he wasn't ready to go. And I wonder if in hindsight, I heard Frank Lampard talk about how Pulisic like, turned up early for Chelsea and he was willing to go and all that sort of stuff, but he'd really put himself through it with the Gold Cup. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's something, like it's been coming for a while. Like it, the, the, the calendar especially in England with Pulisic, but like it, it's just so packed. There are so many games and then, you know, the FIFA dates have to be squeezed in there. Um, something's going to give at some point and usually it's muscles or ligaments. Right. Um, and, and both club and country managers have to be smart about that going forward. Um, I just noticed as well, Ulysses Yanez, not on your list of final four mm-hmm. wingers. Um, again, I wouldn't be doing my job as the comment section if I didn't bring him up, just because so many people were so impressed with his uh, performance in January. Yeah, he's, he was really good. Um, and I, in a lot of ways, I like him more than I like Gio Reyna. Uh, but Gio Reyna is the one playing first team soccer right now and doing so for a, a club that um, specifically and emphatically is about playing and developing their kids. And Uli Yanez, um, he's not at a club like that. Wolfsburg are bad at that. They're like, you know, they're, they're, they're not, <clears throat> they're not the right kind of landing spot. So I, I'm really high on Uli Yanez. Um, I would not be at all surprised if he was on this world cup team. Um, and I kind of hope he is, uh, because I, like I said, I kind of like him more than I like Gio Reyna. Uh, but his, his path there is, of these five guys, his path is the hardest. That's interesting, right? Maybe it's another Chris Richards situation where we basically got to hope that Wolfsburg either um, put up or shut up, basically, right? We either like get you in the first team soon, or we're willing to move you on. Exactly, and you know, as Sebastian Soto showed over the past year, there's no guarantee of that. Even if yeah. you sign a contract with a you know traditionally good team in Germany, 
that could end up being the worst thing for your career. I don't think it's going to get to that level with Ulianis, um, but it's there's no guarantee that it's going to go in the other direction. Whereas it is a guarantee, barring injury, Gio Reyna's going to keep playing. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I also think maybe the January camp and the February 1st appearance for Yanez, in a weird way, raised his profile that might help force Wolfsburg's hand. That, I mean, that's just, obviously, I don't know anything, but that's just my 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 take on it from the outside. Yeah, but at the same time, the fact that they, he was just destroying the, the youth level there in, in Germany. He was putting up much better numbers than Reina. But the fact that Wolfsburg were, were willing to let him go for the month of January and play in that friendly, and then we're willing to let him go again in March for Olympic qualifying, tells you that he's he's just not as close to the first team as as Reyna obviously was, um, which is disappointing. But hopefully, you know, hopefully he's you know uses it as motivation and uh, comes out and wins the job outright when Bundesliga starts playing again. I'm which got, might be which might be next month, by the way. Right, is, I saw their yeah. Tarek, their Tarek story in New York Times. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe we should put all our chips on Paderborn loans for everybody. <laughs> Works for Kyrie Shelton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, your strike force. Your strike force is interesting. There's no 33 year old Josie Altador. Um, no. You say in the piece that you're sort of assuming he's injured, which I want to say is pessimistic, but it also just tracks with reality. Yeah, I. I, just, I like, I, I think Josie's the best striker prospect that we've ever had, and he has been a CONCACAF bully and, and, and done mostly a really great job uh, of doing that. Um, but he's, other than a couple of Gold Cups, he's never really stayed, um, you know, since 2009, he's never really stayed healthy for, for a summer tournament. And, like, that's, you can't, at, at 33, is that going to change for the World Cup? I don't, I don't think so. But we hope so, right? I would assume you're in the same boat as me of uh, thinking that a a healthy, uh, fit Josie Altador really is the striker that we want. Yeah, absolutely. But I just it doesn't seem plausible. It, like it, it doesn't. Like I think Chris Richards playing for Bayern Munich is more plausible than 33 year old Josie Altador being fit enough to last a month, conceivably, uh, of World Cup action. This is a weird, um, like. Slightly off-topic question, but looking at uh, Josie's career the last few years, do you think he'd be in a better place, not financially, but as a soccer player, if he'd maybe rolled the dice again in Europe um, after Sunderland? I don't think so. Um, I, I think if you look at his, his national team productivity, he, like he's actually, him and Dempsey, um, actually both way more productive for the U.S. national team when they were playing in MLS than they were when they were based in Europe. It is, mm. it, it kind of goes against conventional wisdom, but I mean, that's, it's just the fact of it. Um, so it's, I, I, I don't, I don't think that would have, so I don't think that's the do-over. I think the do-over is not going to, to Hull or Sunderland in the first place. Oh, I, I think see. the do-over is. So the North of it, England is to blame. <laughs> yeah. Like I, honestly, <laughs> It, like if you remember the way those two teams played, they saw they saw a big strong striker, six foot one, hundred eighty five pounds, and they're like, oh, we're just going to launch long balls at him because he's so good in the air. Yeah. Josie's not good in the air. He's 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 actually pretty bad in the air. Um, I think if he had gone 
to a bigger club in, in the Eredivisie, which there were rumors about at the time, or to Germany or to France, um, that would have been that would have been the do-over that I would like to see with Josie's career. I mean, that said, we, we saw what he did last year with Toronto when he was healthy. I mean, he's an MVP caliber player in this league when he's healthy. Um, but, like, he's 30 now. It's, like, when he's healthy is going to be uh, – I feel like it's going to be pretty rare from here on out. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. I would definitely I would definitely accept that point. Um, so the strikers you, you uh, selected, Josh Sargent and Ricardo Pepe. Um, yeah. Let's save Pepe for a second. Let's talk about Josh Sargent in 2022. What do you hope his career looks like in 2022? Uh, so I, I don't. I can assume most of your listeners have watched um, some Werder Bremen this year. They've been terrible. Um, Josh Sargent has mostly been pretty bad. He just fades out of games. His, his fitness doesn't quite seem to be there. Uh, he, he his his runs, frankly, aren't dynamic they're not what you want to see from a, a bundesliga caliber center forward he's not a bad player by any stretch but and you can see that like there are moments where you absolutely see the talent his ability to receive the ball with his back to goal link play his vision a little bit of creativity um but he doesn't bring that to bear he doesn't impress himself upon the game um i'm actually hoping that Werder Bremen go down and josh Sargent goes down with them um, and he spends a, a year in the two Bundesliga uh, scrapping for his life and just having to will himself to make plays. Um, and he'll be one of the more talented strikers at that level. And maybe yeah. that's what he needs. Maybe he needs to, to, to be in that situation where his talent can get him a couple goals um, and then his that will boost the confidence and he'll be more engaged because while players like Tyler Adams has made linear improvement, Weston McKinney has been more fits and starts, but he's made improvement with, with Josh Sargent. Like he's, he's a worse player than he was 18 months ago. Yeah. Um, and that's like, it's gutting because he is the best forward prospect that we've had since Josie Alvador. Are we sending him to Paderborn as well then maybe? If Bremen don't go I mean, down. <laughs> I mean, they're both going down, so <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure it makes much of a difference. So we don't see Bremen loaning them to uh, what would be promotion rivals? Um, for, I, I for do not season. think so. Yeah, I do, <laughs> I do not think so. So Ricardo Pepe, I would argue, is the longest long shot on this, on this list just because he has the least... Um, uh, not professional minutes because League One is very much professional, but at least the, the fewest uh, top division minutes. Yeah, um, he he has like two hundred top. Well, actually, Gio Reyna has a few. Gio Reyna only has one hundred eighty top division minutes, and I think uh, I think Pepe is just over two hundred. And they're part of the same cohort. They're like two months apart difference. Yeah, uh, in terms of age, I, Pepe's a goal scorer. He was a, he was a goal scorer for. Uh, Dallas's youth academy teams. He was a goal scorer for the U.S. youth national teams. He was a goal. He scored like eleven goals in twelve games last year in his first year as a pro in USL League One. Yeah, he came. Uh, he came to Richmond and destroyed the Richmond Kickers. Yeah, as a sixteen-year-old. Yeah. Um, and as a seventeen-year-old, he's played fifteen minutes in MLS and he has a goal. Uh, and he's one of those guys who, like the the ball comes off his foot different. 
you just see it like oh like it, he he just gets it clean um and that's you know if you have that and you have the instincts and, and training to make the right runs um and you have the requisite physicality and athleticism and you're playing for a club where you're going to get not just training but actual minutes which he obviously is with FC Dallas um the path to him being a starter and a star in MLS, I think is actually pretty clear. I think, and I, I wrote this, I think, I, I'll, I'll be surprised if he's not the starting number nine for FC Dallas in 2022. And I think if he's a starting number nine, um, then he's a 20 goal. Um, well, I don't want to go that far, but I think he's the type of talent where he's a 20, 25 goal scorer uh, in MLS. Do you see him fitting in with the Behelter? Um, sort of patterns of play that he likes his strikers to do, which is a lot of coming back and showing for the ball and, you know, connecting play. Yeah. I mean, he's not as good at that as Sargent. Sargent is really, really gifted in that if if Sargent actually can remember exactly when he's supposed to make the run, he's really, really good at that. Um, Pepe isn't just, isn't quite natural, but he's like, he could at least be Jossie's artist level. I'll be surprised if he's if he's not Jossie's artist though. But what gets Jossie out on the on the field is that you know Jossie understands the system. Yeah. When the ball is at X, I go to Y, and like just make sure that that is how it's functioning. And I I think Pepe can do that. I really do. And I also think that by 2022, there will have been enough players who spent enough time um, looking at Berhalter's flipboard. And being, yeah. I mean, I say that like somewhat jokingly, but I, I kind of mean it as well. Like, and being on the being on the practice field and understanding when the balls are X, I'm at Y, that Zardes will no longer have that inbuilt advantage that he'd had from playing for Berhalter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like, look, J- Jossie has been better uh, than than people give him credit for, but I think we can top all score agree last for, year, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think seven goals. So yeah, that would be top scorer. Um, but it's. I think we can all agree. We, we hope that um, several of the young kids are able to overtake him on the depth chart sometime in the next 24 months. Speaking of, I'm quite high on Jesus Ferreira um, mm-hmm. in that center forward position. And I would have like for my 2022, if I was projecting ahead, um, it, it's hard to argue who's right and wrong, right? Because we're both just like guessing at the future here. And you were the one brave enough to do it first. But <laughs> but I <laughs> I would have gone Jesus Ferreira in that Ricardo Pepe spot because I really like the way he comes back and connects play, partly because he's also half a number 10, right? But it, in right. your roster, you have him as one of the, essentially the runners up in the attacking midfield spots. So I'm interested in that. Um, I don't want to argue with you. I just want to hear your thought process. Uh, I, I just, I, I refuse to have a... a a national team um, that goes to a a summer. Well, it won't be a summer, but it goes to a tournament with only one center forward. So, and and Jesus Ferreira can play as a false nine, but he's not a traditional center forward. We, I I think you always need that target guy unless you're, you know, Spain 2012, you always need that target guy. um, And you should always take a backup. We should have learned that by now as a, as a country. Um, or maybe we should have learned it in 2014, right? When we no, maybe up, we should. Is, yes. it, is this what you're going back to? That we ended up with Dempsey as the nine, even though he's not really, and, and Bradley as the ten. That the whole yeah. world where everybody was asked to step forward. One. Oh system. God, it's just a nightmare we keep reliving, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so that, and then like, okay, well then I I'm dropping either one of Ledesma or Reyna, and if it's Ledesma, 
then Bells is mad at me. And if it's Raina, then it's the rest of the internet that's mad at me. And I just wasn't brave enough to do it. But like, if it's, um, but like if it's a 25-man roster, then Yanez and, and Ferreira are probably 24 and 25. Um, and I guess maybe Yedlin is 26, throwing a center back. Um, but I, I don't – I really like Jesus Ferreira. I think he's a smart soccer player. I also think he's a tweener. Um, yeah. And, and I, I am just constitutionally – opposed not not opposed but like i struggle with that i, I like the guy who fit the guys who fit clear roles did, did this give you more sympathy with national team coaches who have to pick a final 23 to go to a tournament uh yeah it did well especially because you're breaking hearts yeah when you do this and we had a, a really good interview on extra time a couple months ago where uh we got to sit down with sasha question and sasha was the final cut from the the 2010 world cup team and like it's 10 years later and he's on the verge of tears, you know, grown men with kids and and all that. And just thinking about what this means. And if you spent any time around, um, you know, these guys, like, first of all, the the dedication it takes to become a professional athlete um, always impresses the hell out of me because I I didn't didn't have that dedication for anything. So that, that's number one, right? I just respect that so much. And number two is most of them are like genuinely good dudes, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and I don't, I like, I to, to imagine being in that situation where you're like you've dreamed about this from probably the time you were three years old, um, and I'm going to take that away from you here. Uh, it's it's just gut wrenching to imagine. It's gut wrenching to hear about. Um, and yeah, I, it does make me sympathize and empathize, not just with the, the coach, but with the players who were, you know, who aren't going to make that final 23. Oof. Speaking of, do you think there's anyone that we haven't thought of or you haven't thought of who could be like a late breakthrough for November 2022? And I ask that because we're definitely in a situation right now where we have, because of that weird generation gap, we have a lot of essentially teenage players that we're already aware of, like Pepe say, and even Moses and Iman make sure like almost made it kind of list, right? I feel like you've tried mm-hmm. to cover as many bases as possible. Do you think there's any like 14, 15 year old kid out there who could surprise you by being like this 17, 18 year old who makes the roster? I, I, I hope there is. Um, and like, that's the thing. If it's a surprise, like, I couldn't, you know, Obviously, like, yeah. you unknown, unknowns, the, as Donald Trump's called it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know everybody's really high on the kid Leva um, in Seattle, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I've I've liked what I've seen of him as a soccer brain. But if you watch him move, he's still very much a child, so it's it's tough to figure out what he's going to project as three years from now. Um, there are probably kids. Uh, well, the kid San Antonio just signed. Um, he was like a high school soccer star down in San, San Antonio. He signed with the USL team. He's looked fantastic. Hopefully, there are more stories like that out there um hopefully also there are more Aaron Longs yeah you know hopefully there are are more guys who come through um I don't want to say unexpected well like you know like who just hit their stride at age 25 and suddenly you have a guy who you know is worth five million dollars to a Premier League team it would be great if we had if we had more of those guys as well as the kids that we identify at 14 or 15 in MLS academies, as well as the kids who, you know, get found by Bundesliga teams. 
Um, and as well as the kids who maybe even still come through college, like uh, Andrew Gutman, uh, like he was signed, the Celtics signed him for a reason. Um, you know, and so th- there are other, there are other paths to this and, and hopefully that'll be one of the strengths of the U S team, uh, for 2022 and beyond. All right. I think that's a good place to end it on this, that note of optimism, Matt. Um, so thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. And thank you for, you know, giving us some, some optimistic things to think about in this, uh, this difficult time. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. Optimism <laughs> in difficult times. <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly your brand, but uh, <laughs> maybe it is right now. Maybe, maybe you're the hero we didn't know we needed. Uh, we really are in the upside down, I think. All right, <laughs> uh, Matt, thanks once again. It's been great. Good talking to you, Daryl.